Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3. Philippians, chapter number 3. I was writing a letter this morning. I'll explain a little bit further whenever I get to the end of the message, but in the letter this morning I made mention of the fact that of all of the books of the Bible as a Christian, this little letter to the Philippians has helped me personally more than more than any other book in all of the Bible. There is so much here that is so very encouraging. If I could just have one verse to describe the way I feel about life and about death, it would be chapter 1 and verse 21. But today, we're looking at chapter 3, beginning in verse number 13. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Over the years, I've preached many times about facing the future. In fact, if I was to look back in my records, I'm sure that somewhere around uh, the first of each year, I have some message related to that subject. It might have a different title, it might have a different text, but in some way it relates to that in facing the future. But this morning, I want to speak to you about forging the future. Facing the future is one thing, forging the future is another. When we talk about facing the future, it has to do mainly with preparing ourselves for whatever comes. But when we talk about forging the future, we're talking about doing things that will determine to some extent, what the outcome will be, what our future will be. Now, naturally, there's a lot of things in life that we have no control over, a lot of things that we cannot change. And so when we think about our future, we understand that there are going to be things happen that, that you and I can't control. But there is another sense in which each one of us are making our own memories in other words, our decisions determine our destiny. And what we do now will determine to a great extent what happens later. I can say that with complete confidence because the Bible tells us that for good or for bad, we reap what we sow, right? And so if we reap what we sow, then the future, our future, is determined by the things that we do. Do you know anything at all about forging? There's hot forging, there's warm forging, cold forging, and a lot of different things that we could talk about. And I'm certainly no expert at that. Some of these men that, that work with metal, they could tell you a lot more than I could. But I'll keep it simple because uh, 
because I've witnessed a blacksmith at work on the anvil, and, and many of you, no doubt, have had that privilege. To watch a blacksmith take a piece of, of metal and to apply the heat and put it on the anvil and take the hammer and to begin to shape and to make something that really didn't exist before is really an amazing work of art. And every blow of that hammer in some way shapes that object into what he wants it to be. The same thing is true in regards to our decisions. When we talk about forging the future, we're talking about making decisions that, like the blows of the hammer on the anvil, are going to give shape to what happens in the future. So it can be said, whether you try or not, you are forging your future. The question is, what shall it be? What will it be? There's one thing we can all agree on, I think. While we all have our differences, and if we were to take a vote this morning in regards to sports or politics, or a thousand and one of the things, we might disagree. But whenever it comes to this one thing, I think all of us agree that we'd like to have a bright future. We'd like for it to be as good as it possibly can be. But the sad fact of the matter is the future doesn't look all of that bright for some people. And one of the reasons is because they can't get past the past. And as you know, the past can have a powerful effect upon us for good or for bad. And and you know, while we ought to look back at certain experiences and... uh, you know, and rejoice that God did this and thus on a, on a certain day, we dare not allow ourselves to look back and let the past rob us of being useful and of having a blessed future. C.S. Lewis wrote many years ago, he said, Beware of the kind of nostalgia that continually says, If only and what only. Memories that please are tremendous. Memories that plague are destructive. It is essential to know the difference. And he was exactly right. Some people can't foresee a better future because, like a ball and a chain, they're dragging the past along with them. One of my favorite writers, Lehman Strauss, said years ago, he said, There is no bright future for the Christian who wastes time dwelling in the past. Many years ago when Winston Churchill was visiting the United States during World War II, as he addressed our nation, he said, If the past quarrels with the past, there can be no future. We must learn to accept the past as unalterable and move on. And that's good advice. And I want you to notice verse 13 again, because the Apostle Paul proves that this is possible. Getting past the past. And that goes a long way in you and I forging, making our future. Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. That is, I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm not 
where I ought to be yet. I'm not everything I could be yet. In other words, I have not arrived. But this one thing I do. Notice this one thing, not a dozen things. This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I want you to think about Paul's past. And there's two things that we need to be mindful of when we think about his past and ours. Number one is what he did to others. He was the most ruthless, cruel enemy of Christianity in that day. I mean, here is a man who, although a religious man, here is a man who, although thinking that he was doing God a favor, he tortured and persecuted the Christians without any mercy whatsoever, putting men and women in prison, literally torturing them, killing them, separating children from their fathers. I mean, this is about as wicked as a person can get. And we can all look back on our past at things that we did to others. And we feel so terrible about it now. And I've referred to that often. I can think back to my high school days and think about the things that I did to others. Things that were totally uncalled for in hurting other people. And, uh, I, and now I am so ashamed of, of, of what I used to be and those people that I hurt needlessly. And here we find Paul, as he thinks about his past, and remember, he said, forgetting those things which are behind, don't forget what he had done to other people. Persecuted the church of God without any mercy whatsoever. And he says, forgetting those things that are behind, that's behind me. That's no small accomplishment to think about some of the awful, terrible, horrible things that some of us have done in hurting other people. And it's not easy to just get that out of your mind and not be affected by it. But there's a second thing here. Not only what Paul did to others, but when we look at his story, we have to consider what others did to the Apostle Paul. I could spend the next 30 minutes just going through the New Testament and, and, and looking at the different things that Paul suffered and the people that mistreated him and abused him. In fact, when he was first saved, you remember that God made a point to send him a message showing him what great things he must suffer for the namesake of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, God wanted him to know that I have a special mission for you, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough because you're going to get hurt. And boy, when we read the account of the things that this man suffered, it is so amazing to think that he could keep his head above water, that he could keep going in the midst of all of this without quitting, without turning back, without throwing in the towel. And he did just that. 
I mean, here was a man that was hurt badly, a man that was stoned and left for dead and dragged out and dumped in the garbage dump, a man that was shipwrecked out on an island without food, without water, uh, without the things that we think about in regards to personal hygiene and all of that. And, and, And keep in mind that this was the great servant of God, the Apostle Paul. Now, let's make this personal. Because the same two things that trouble Paul are the same two things that tend to hurt us and to hinder us. What we've done to others and what others have done to us. If you could hear all of the testimonies this morning, if I were to say just one at a time, each one stand up, and if someone has hurt you deeply in the past, Would you stand up and describe that for us? There would be many that wouldn't, they would, they don't even want to divulge that information. They don't even want you to know what they've gone through. What pain and shame they suffered. And you, and let me tell you something. You'd be absolutely shocked as you look around this auditorium to know what some of these people have gone through. You would never dream that it happened to them. But it did. Something horrible and terrible happened to them. And remember, Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, notice his proclamation. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth. In other words, he puts these two things together. He doesn't just do one or the other. He does both. And this is important. It's not a matter of just forgetting what happened in the past, what you did to others and what others did to you. But notice, and this is the proclamation reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now, don't misunderstand this, because the writings of the Apostle Paul proves that he had not literally forgotten the past. I mean, he's describing it. He tells us so. It's not like that he can't remember that he doesn't know. He absolutely does know it. He can sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and enumerate all of those things that happened in the past. But the point is that he refuses to allow the things in the past What he did to others and what they did to him, he refuses to let those things affect him adversely. Notice he says, this one thing I do. In other words, he's telling you that he is exercising great concern and great care in this matter. This is something that he is attending to constantly. This is something that he is pursuing earnestly. It's his great aim. It is his purpose. And he refuses to let anything from the past divert his attention from the goal that's before him. And folks, I'm telling you, that's what we've got to do as we think about forging our future, as we think about making our future as good as it can be. We've got to get past the past. And if we refuse to forgive God... The Bible says He doesn't forgive us. And unless we confess our sins and receive God's forgiveness, we can't have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Now maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I've asked God to forgive me and I believe that He has, but uh, 
but I can't forgive myself. Who made you God? What do you mean you can't forgive yourself? Do you realize the Bible never tells us to forgive ourselves? You're not God. You, you, you don't have any right to do that. You can't do that. The Bible doesn't tell you to forgive yourself. The Bible tells you to accept God's forgiveness. In other words, you say to yourself, God forgave me, and I can live with that. I can deal with that. Because when we say that God forgave me, but I can't forgive myself, it's like we're taking a position that makes us greater than God. We're saying that we have a higher standard than what God has. You see, your past sins might have been awful, but if God forgives them, you ought not to dwell on them. The Bible talks about God separating our sins as far as the east is from the west, hiding them in the depths of the sea. God says, I'll put them behind my back to remember them no more. And that's the way we ought to think about our sins in the past. It doesn't excuse us in any way. What we did was horrible and terrible, but it's not anything that you can change. We need to learn to get past the past by accepting God's forgiveness. Even though it was horrible, God's grace is sufficient. Even though, you know, our sins might have been terrible, if God forgets them, we ought to stop remembering them. You see, every minute, every minute that you dwell on your past, what you did to others or what others did to you, every minute you spend dwelling on that, you are depriving yourself of peace and joy. You're robbing yourself. And not only that, every day that you spend your time beating up yourself, or resenting others is time that is wasted where you could be helping somebody else. And you see, sometimes we make a God out of ourselves, as it were. And we don't do it intentionally. We just get so wrapped up in ourselves and what have you that we neglect our God-given responsibility to be ministering to other people. And so Paul makes this proclamation, I'm not going to let those things from the past influence me any longer, but rather I'm going to be reaching forth unto those things which are before. It's like he's saying, I'm going to make sure the rest of my life is useful regardless of what happened in the past. Now look at verse 14, because here we see his pursuit. What is it that drives a man to have this kind of an attitude? What is it that motivates him to make these statements? Well, verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, the best way to forget the past is to focus on God's purpose for your life. The Greek word that's translated press here in verse 14, 
is exactly the same Greek word that's translated follow after in verse number 12. And then in verse 13, it's translated reaching, reaching. And it means to stretch out or to strain. And the idea... If you can think about a sprinter as he's running down the track and he is straining every nerve and every muscle in all-out effort to reach the goal, and that's what Paul is saying here. In other words, I'm putting everything I've got into this. I'm not holding back anything. I'm putting everything i got into reaching and winning the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Look, that's what winners do. That's the way the Christian life ought to be lived. And we can't live the Christian life half-heartedly. And so many times we think that we can just, you know, go through the motions of serving God. That we can just do lip service in our service for God. That we can make a half-hearted effort, as it were. And give God to some, but still less than our best. Do you know what that means to God? It means nothing. The Bible teaches us very clearly that it's all or it's nothing. And that's why Jesus said concerning disciples, if we're going, you're going to be my disciple, He said it's going to cost you what? Everything. That's exactly what he said. It takes everything. That we're to love the Lord with what? All of our heart. Is that not right? And if it's not with all of our heart, then there is no reward for what we've done. Paul says, I'm putting absolutely everything I've got into this. You could tell he was a man that wasn't coasting, and that's the problem with the most people that want to coast. And coasting is popular because you can always find people to coast with you. You know, if you say to someone, let's just covet together in our hearts to be full-blown disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, Let's just determine that we're going to work together and we're not going to hold back anything. We're going to, we're going to be true disciples of Jesus Christ regardless of how much it costs us. I can almost guarantee you, you're not going to find many to join your little club. Not many people interested in something like that. But if you can do something to make a Christianity, you know, to seem to be easier so that it's more appealing to where instead of giving an all-out effort, you can just kind of coast through it, go through the motions, uh, boy, it'd be a lot of folks jump on board then. It's popular. It's popular because it's easy. But let me tell you, it's dangerous also. Coasting is all downhill And it keeps us from reaching our potential. It keeps us from winning the prize that is before us. And so Paul wants it to be known that he is no coaster. He has a fixed purpose and a burning desire to be a winner. That is to win the prize in pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's willing to pay the price regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the cost. Regardless of the consequences, none of those things make any difference to him. He says, I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. 
That's exactly what he was saying back in chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. In other words, for me to be here on planet earth, for me to be alive, for me to live is Christ. It's all about me living the life of Christ by being like the Lord Jesus Christ, that I might bring others to Christ. So that was his pursuit. Now I want you to notice, verse, beginning in verse 15, and I want you to notice his plea, because this is where it really gets personal to each and every one of us. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, that is complete or mature, be thus minded. Now Paul just got through telling you what he's thinking and what he's feeling. And now he's making this plea, as it were, for all of us to be on the same page. And he says, to be thus minded, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, and let us mind the same thing, brethren, Be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. Isn't that amazing? That Paul was living his life in such a way that he could say, I am an example before you. Many years ago, someone asked Pete Rose a question, one of the sportscasters or someone in I don't know exactly how the storyline goes, but it's something like this, that Pete, of all of the ball players, just imagine if it's the last game of the World Series and the bases is loaded and the last batter is up to bat and you just need a run to tie or to win the game, who would you choose to be up to bat? And Charlie Hustle said, me. <laughs> you say, well, that's just because he was so full of pride and what have you. And I don't know, but, you know, if somebody asked me that question at that time, you know what I'd have said? Pete Rose. Now, look, I, I'm not trying to lift him up. His character is such that you ought not to make a hero out of him. But I'm telling you, this the attitude that Paul has here is not an attitude of pride whatsoever of all people. You wouldn't expect that out of the Apostle Paul. He was a very humble man. He confessed, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the least of all of the apostles. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. And yet, having made confessions like that, now he stands up in the face of this church at Philippi and says, follow me. That doesn't mean that he was perfect in everything. What he's talking about is follow me in these things that I've just mentioned. And that is that I'm going to forget the past and I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. That's what I'm doing with my life. And he says, come on, follow me. Let's do it together. Now, I want you to keep in mind that Paul did not just decide to write and to share this information. 
It's the Holy Spirit that is prompting him to write these things. I've got to believe that there's a lot of things that Paul tells about himself that he would have left out had he just been writing on his own. But with the Holy Spirit urging him and knowing that that he is a vessel being used of God to prepare the Word of God for the world, Paul writes down exactly what God told him to write down, and God tells him to put this in the story. When the Lord says this, now don't misunderstand When the Lord makes this statement, when the Lord challenges you and I to be like Paul, He is not doing this so that we might in some way idolize the Apostle Paul as though he's a great hero. That's not the point. That's missing the point. The purpose of this is for inspiration. That you and I might be inspired to do what Paul did And the bottom line is this, that God wants you, by looking at His life, God wants you to see the difference that He can make in a person's life. That's what it's all about. Forgetting those things that are behind, what you did to others and and what they did to you, forget that. Don't let that influence the way you live today. And Paul is an example for all of us, showing us that God can do this same thing for us. I mean, out of the ash heap of an ugly and painful past, God can give us a glorious future. And don't make it a mistake about it. Satan's going to fight you every step of the way. But you can overcome because, as the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan's an accuser. Every time we stumble, every time we fall, every time we fail in any way, Satan begins to accuse us before God and he begins to accuse our conscience to rob us of our peace. And I like what someone said, the next time he tries to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. Because I've read the last chapter of the Bible and we win, folks. So regardless of your past calamities, regardless of your present circumstances, God can give you a glorious future. He gives us forgiveness for our failures. He gives us strength for our struggles. He gives us a purpose in our problems. Adrian Rogers, who just happened to be, I might say, the late Adrian Rogers was Bev's, I think, favorite preacher. And um, he said, there are two days that can steal your joy and the fulfillment of today. One is tomorrow, and the other is yesterday. Both are days in which we as Christians should refuse to live. So many of us have never learned to separate ourselves from yesterday. We're still dragging it around with us, and it is stealing our joy. Paul could have lived there in that realm of guilt, but he refused. You you know, it all gets down to this. The question is, what will you do? And I'm going to tell you right now, the more you try 
to be happy, the more miserable you're going to be because happiness doesn't come as a result of trying. You don't find happiness by looking for it. You'll never find it until you quit looking for happiness. It's like somebody said, if you've got to move one inch away from where you are right now to be happy, you'll never be happy. It's only when we get past the past, only when we focus on forging the future that we're going to be able to truly be content. Remember, Paul says in the very next chapter, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. How do you learn something like that? How do you get to that place? That whether you've got plenty or whether you're in poverty, you can say honestly, I am content. How do we get there? Because, let's face it, most of us aren't there, are we? But how do you get there? You get there by doing exactly what Paul did getting past the past and focusing on forging the future and doing those things described here in our text. And the person that is fully committed to fulfilling their God-given purpose will be happy. That's not to say they're not going to have their, their valleys of depression. That's not to say they're not going to have their times of failure. But in general, even when the bad stuff comes, they'll be able to recover and get back on track and keep serving the Lord. The question is, have you made that commitment? Someone this week, I received a message, Bev and I, we were talking about this this morning, from someone and... uh, and they went into detail about the struggles they're going through right now. And this person was talking about their physical problems, their emotional struggles, their depression, their loneliness. And it ended saying this. And I jotted it down. I wanted to be exact. Life holds no joy anymore. I'm very frightened and very tired. And I thought how sad that is. And I can assure you, folks, that there are many others that feel exactly the same way because this, listen, this can happen to anybody that lose a sight of their God-given purpose in life. Why are we here? And as I said right at the very beginning, in fact, I've got just a little rough draft of the letter that I'm going to finish this afternoon and send to this person here. I'm not going to read it, and it's very personal in a lot of ways, And but uh, it has to do with the book of Philippians, a lot of it in trying to help this particular person. And boy, whenever you look at what Paul did and you think about the things Paul suffered, I've just got to believe, folks, that none of us have any excuse for failing in life and being miserable in life. I'm sure not the perfect example, but I'm telling you, My failures are unjustified, and so are yours. 
And if we're ever going to find real happiness and be able to look toward the future with hope that it's going to be the very best that it can be, then we've got, number one, to get past the past. And number two, we've got to get our focus on forging the future, realizing that every decision that we make in some way is going to affect the outcome of our life. And we don't have to be miserable. The very man that wrote this, the very man that suffered so much, said time and time again, I rejoice in all of my tribulation. And I've got to confess to you this morning, I'm not as strong and as spiritual as Paul was, but it gives me hope. It gives me an example for one thing, that that's the way I ought to be, but it gives me hope to think about what it can become in my life. Like the old song, Stuart Hamlin's old song, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. And God wants to do that for you this morning. He wants to help you get past the past. He wants to help you have a glorious future. But it all depends on whether or not you commit yourself, as Paul did, to where you can say, for to me, to live is Christ. Let's stand. Father, how we thank you this morning for the sacrifice that you made for us, for the fact that you didn't hold back anything but gave your very best, and how we thank you for those servants, those men and women down through the ages that have set for us a good example, and in doing so has revealed to us the possibilities that we have. So God help us to not be weighted down, as it were, by the things of the past. Help us to not be troubled about the future. But Lord, help us to just discover our purpose and give ourselves to it without any reservation whatsoever. Because we know that although we might fail, we know that you never will and that you'll finish the good work that you've started in us. So have your will in each of our lives today. And for some, that might mean them being saved. For others that have already been saved, it, it might mean that they'll take the necessary steps and make the commitment that will help them to get past their past and to prepare for the future by making wise decisions and committing themselves to your purpose for their life. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen.